Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the betters box. This is ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Monday, June 21st. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Daily article posted over at ATS.io, out of town for a wedding last weekend, unable to dedicate the time it takes to write the article, so I didn't do it on Saturday or Sunday, but it is back here today on Monday, a side and two totals in that article for you to check out over at the website. And picks are tracked in the ATS app, which you can also use as a bet tracker if you download that from the Google Play Store or from the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database, all kinds of really helpful handicapping resources in there. You can even buy a subscription to the premium model in the ATS app. So make sure you download that from the Google Play Store or from the Apple Store today. So yes, it works for both Android and iOS devices. We'll have another show tomorrow with Brian Blessing. We'll talk about the Travelers Championship, the NHL playoffs, and NASCAR running back-to-back races this weekend out at Pocono Raceway up in Pennsylvania. So we'll talk about NASCAR on tomorrow's show to go along with golf and, of course, the hockey playoffs. Covering all those things over at ATS.io as well. My MLB article is not the only thing you will find. You'll find WNBA NBA, NHL, UFC, golf, NASCAR, uh, updates on what's happening in different states around the country as far as sports betting goes. So a lot of great content there over at ATS.io, and I highly encourage you to check all of it out. All right, so with that, let's go ahead and get into today's show here, and I'm only going to do the Beyond the Box Source segment today because I've got a lot of stuff to get to, so I won't be doing the Down the Line segment. You already know what's happening with a lot of the line moves that are out there. The home road splits, you obviously have to look at the lefty-righty stuff. Uh, you know, the totals moves have done really well for the most part here this season. So not going to talk about the individual line moves in depth, just a lot of what we've seen over the last several weeks of betting on baseball. So you know all that stuff already if you've been listening to the show regularly. But as I said, I've got a lot of beyond-the-box score material to talk about on today's show. We'll still give you a pick for Monday night and then preview four series for the week ahead here. But let's go ahead and go beyond the box score. And this is the week. Major League Baseball's crackdown on foreign substances is coming this week. Enforcement supposed to start today. So let's see what Major League Baseball does here with this because their memo pretty much outlined that everything except for the rosin bag on the mound is illegal. So with that in mind, Let's see how much they actually stick to this. Let's see how much the umpires enforce it during a game. Let's see if teams snitch on other teams because that really opens up Pandora's box because then all of a sudden you snitch on another team. Well, what's happening in your own backyard? So I'm really curious to see if this is all talk, if Major League Baseball will show some teeth with this, maybe suspend a big fish to establish some credibility, something like that. I don't know. But what I can tell you already is that just simply talking about it has created this ripple effect around Major League Baseball. And Codify Baseball on Twitter, at Codify Baseball, that's C-O-D-I-F-Y, Codify Baseball, they're doing a phenomenal job covering everything that's happening on both a macro and a micro level in terms of this spin rate and substance crackdown. A lot of good reading material from a lot of different sources out there. But Codify Baseball is making it really easy on their social media page for Twitter 
to really follow along with what's happening here. And even if Major League Baseball doesn't show any backbone with this alleged crackdown, it has already had a really significant impact here. As Codify tweeted over the weekend, and I'm just going to run through some of their tweets here. I mean, follow them yourselves. Again, that's at Codify Baseball, C-O-D-I-F-Y. Uh, 29 of the 30 teams here over the last 12 days showing a decrease in average four-seam fastball spin rate compared to the previous 12 days. The New York Yankees is the only team that has not seen a decrease here so far. But obviously, like I just said, what Major League Baseball has sent around, that memo that they've circulated to the teams, has been taken to heart. You know, this is a 10-day suspension with pay, but your team can't fill that roster spot. Guys don't want to be labeled a cheater. They don't want to have their numbers taken into question in arbitration or free agency, something like that. So this has already had a significant impact without even actually suspending anybody or punishing any individual pitcher or a team for using these foreign substances. 29 of 30 teams with a decrease in fastball spin rate. That's very significant here. And Codify even mentioned in a reply to somebody to that tweet, Batting average and expected batting average up six points comparing those two time periods. So the last 12 days compared to the previous 12 days, slugging and expected slugging both up 13 points, home runs per swing up 8%. So we are seeing increased offense across the board. And of course, some of this also has to do with the weather. It's been hot. It's been humid. We're in the month of June now. So it's not just all about these spin rate decreases. But the decreased spin rate certainly has something to do with it. Quantifying exactly how much, that's going to take some time. But when you factor in the decrease in spin with the warmer weather, the ball is traveling at a much better pace than it was earlier on in the season. Fly ball distance up a little bit as well. So, you know, if Major League Baseball wanted to increase offense, it has happened. It has definitely happened since they circulated that first memo and especially since the second memo where they really decided to, you know, kind of uh, get a little bit stronger, a little bit more poignant with their language in that second memo. Another thing that's really interesting, and and Codify's got a great gif about this, uh, showing the relationship between spin rate and velocity here of late. And as I've mentioned, there's a high, you know, uh, a pretty high relationship, a pretty significant relationship between spin and velocity. But what we're seeing here is that pitchers are throwing harder now in hopes of compensating for some of that decreased spin rate. So spin rate is down, but velocity is up. And a guy like Luis Castillo actually hit 105 times in his start against San Diego over the weekend. We've seen Garrett Cole throw harder. We've seen Dylan Cease throw harder. We've seen a lot of these guys try to throw harder to make up for that lost spin. Either get the ball there faster or try to get some more spin back on the baseball by throwing it harder. So velo is up while spin rate is down. And, you know, a lot of times people kind of say, you know, the pitcher generates the power by throwing hard, you know, and all of that. It may have something to do with increased batted ball distance, increased home runs, you know, the increases in batting average and slugging percentage and all of that. Also, it's just simply the fact that there are fewer strikeouts right now because of this decreased spin. So that's also helping out batting average and slugging percentage. But another tweet from Codify over the weekend here, 
I, I missed it on Saturday. Saturday was the day of the wedding. But Saturday was the lowest single-day average spin rate of the season on fastballs and the highest single-day ERA. So we saw a lot of runs being scored there on Saturday. And again, it's just one day. It's just one data point. But overall here, whether Major League Baseball suspends guys or not, we are seeing an increase in offense. And that is apparently what the league's goal was with this whole uh, substance crackdown. So we'll see. You know, everybody will adjust as we go forward here. We'll kind of see what happens, uh, you know, if they suspend somebody, if players, you know, continue to take this to heart and all of that. But Codify Baseball, very much worth following. Guys like Rob Arthur do a great job in the space. Travis Sawchick, uh, Eno Saris, you know, a lot of people out there covering this spin rate stuff from a lot of different angles. It's been really interesting to read and follow along with. But what does this all mean for us in a handicapping context? Well, let's start with this. As I just talked about, offense is very much up. Overs 83, 65, and 5 since June 10th, according to the Killer Sports Database, which I believe still uses five dimes closing numbers in the offshore market. I'm not sure about that, uh, but you know, overs have done well here over the last 10 days. And since June 15th, 51, 32, and 3 to the over based on the results there in that killer sports database. So offense is very much up. And, and this is in part because of the spin rate thing, but also because of what's happening with the weather here. When you're profiling pitchers and when you're kind of looking through and analyzing the stats, this whole thing has made season to date numbers much, much harder to evaluate because how much does the month of April matter with what's happening now, with what's taking place in June. On the other hand, we know that baseball is a sport subject to a very high degree of variance. So you don't want to look too much at the small sample sizes, but it is hard at this point in time to take April and May all that seriously. So I'm having a problem with that. I think a lot of people are probably having a problem with that. And it's one of those things where Look, command and control will decrease. We'll see more hit by pitches. We'll see more base runners. We'll see more balls in play. We'll see more home runs. So this environment here this month is completely different than what we saw over the first two months. And so now I just, I wonder how much we want to take the larger sample size into the equation when the smaller sample size here is more indicative of what we're seeing now and what we're likely to see in the future. So that's been a little bit of a challenge to say the least here. Another thing that I would do is look for pitch usage changes. And we saw one of these with Trevor Bauer over the weekend where Bauer has lost a lot of spin. He is somebody who has lost a lot of spin with this substance crackdown. So what he did was he threw more changeups in his last start than he's thrown at any other point this season. So we're going to see this fastballs are really under the microscope because They used to be very hittable pitches, but as guys have increased velocity and increased spin, fastballs have not been hit as well. It's the biggest reason why we've seen this offensive decline because guys don't do damage on fastballs to the same degree that they used to. So now if you can't spin your fastball as much, maybe you start digging deeper into the arsenal. Maybe you go from being a 30% slider guy to a 35% slider guy or 25% curveballs up to 30% curveballs, throwing more changeups, throwing more splitters, stuff like that. So keep an eye out for that. Look for pitch usage changes. 
guys that will actively make that adjustment if they have deep enough arsenals to be able to do that. So on the flip side, you think about guys that have limited arsenals, guys that are maybe, you know, two pitch pitchers or have a third pitch that they throw maybe 10% of the time, something like that. If all of a sudden the fastball is going to be less effective with a lower spin rate, they don't have anything else to fall back on. They've got to throw, you know, that secondary pitch, that slider 45, 50% of the time. And hitters will be able to pick up on that. So they'll be able to lay off of it. They'll be able to eliminate doubt in their minds and all of that. So there's also that element to it too, of if a guy's fastball starts getting hit a lot, take Dylan Cease, for example, with Chicago. The White Sox have been really trying to work on a third pitch for him. He's primarily a fastball curveball guy. They've been trying to work on that third pitch. Well, if his fastball is not going to be as effective, you either have to expedite the timeline on that third pitch or he's going to have to throw that second pitch a lot more. So those are things that hitters will pick up on. They'll kind of realize in the game planning and the advanced scouting reports and all of that. So that'll be something to follow along with here too. There will be some pitch usage changes out there. But one thing I do want to say, and I think this is very important to elaborate on here on today's show, do not just auto-fade guys with spin rate decreases. You still have to apply the proper context to this. Like I said, guys who had elite spin rates before probably still will. They'll just be elite against the new baseline, against the new average. Or maybe they won't be elite, but they'll still be very good. And they'll still have the good command and the good control to fall back on. To me, I think this really hurts average dudes and relief arms. So as I said, I would look to fade guys with decreases on their fastballs that have limited arsenals. And I would look to fade guys that you notice some pretty big spin rate declines from that weren't very good pitchers or aren't very good pitchers. If you're still a very good pitcher, you still have a good chance of being a very good pitcher. But if you're not a very good pitcher and you got decent because of this spin rate decrease under some unscrupulous means or something like that, well, then maybe that's something that you want to take a little bit more of a look at. So a lot of stuff here with all of this spin rate discussion and and these different types of things. I am going to run through here and talk about some pitchers dating back to Thursday that have had spin rate decreases, but... I need to put a lot of context to this on today's show. So I will be doing that. And it's a big reason why I'm not doing the down the line segment, just to make sure I elaborate a lot more on this, especially because this is the week where Major League Baseball is allegedly going to crack down quite a bit. So with that on Thursday, Dylan Cease, again, the spin rates were down a little bit, did have some velocity upticks. However, this start was in Houston. I'm going to talk about that. Keep that in mind because I'm going to talk about that here in a few minutes' time. Shohei Otani, a guy with some pretty big spin rate decreases in his last start. Also velocity, kind of some concerns there. But Otani, a guy that, you know, again, you want to keep a very close eye on for some of those injury indicators and all of that. Also on Thursday, Rich Hill with some big spin rate decreases for the Rays. And Rich Hill, somebody who popped up uh, on the uh, on the radar because he talked about how MLBPA didn't do enough to protect pitchers with this whole thing going on. Well, that seemed kind of suggestive that Rich Hill was probably using some substances, kind of upset that the MLBPA didn't back up their guys. And we did see everything kind of drop for him, although his velocity was down as well. And of course, you worry about 
the injury indicators with Rich Hill, uh, with all of the things that he has in his background. Friday, Brad Hand down once again. Nick Whitgren for the Indians uh, down from their bullpen. Karen Chack is still down. Nick Sandlin is still down. All of that. Uh, the Indians bullpen does have some concerns in terms of some of those spin rate guys. The Pirates bullpen as well. Sam Howard down yet again. Kyle Crick, same thing for him. So guys in the Indians pen, the Pirates pen, uh, the Braves bullpen, the Red Sox bullpen. Talked about these bullpens a lot. Those are bullpens that do concern me quite a bit. Been trying to pick on some of those teams, looking at some full game overs and stuff like that. James Capellian for Oakland down quite a bit going to Yankee Stadium. And something that's been kind of a challenge here, I think, with some of these pitchers is, you know, accounting for the environmental differences. For example, a guy like Caprellian, you know, he goes from Oakland where it's, you know, that sort of uh, that marine air, that marine layer, you know, the thing that we saw at the U.S. Open. I know San Diego is much further south than Oakland, but, you know, you kind of get some different conditions along the water. Then you get in, say, the Bronx, you know, then you get in a lot of these different ballparks. So that's been kind of difficult here, trying to, you know, sort of cut through the noise, looking at pitcher spin rates on a day-by-day basis. And with that in mind, Jose Barrios for the Twins, a velocity decrease for him as the Twins playing against Seattle. And I've noticed that a lot of starting pitchers and specifically road starting pitchers have gone to ballparks with humidors and have seen decreases in velocity and spin. So I've seen this a lot in Texas and in Seattle and in Houston. And we saw it a ton in Arizona with the Dodgers this past weekend here. So something is happening in these ballparks with the humidors. And I don't know if it's a slightly heavier baseball. I don't know if because of the increased moisture with the storage in the humidor, if I don't know, I, I don't know what is happening here. Somebody much smarter than me, somebody with a background in physics would probably be able to explain this to me. I don't know if the humidor balls are slicker or something like that, but we're noticing, at least I've noticed here that in Texas and Seattle and Houston and, you know, some of these retractable roof stadiums that have these humidors that visiting pitchers are seeing pretty big spin rate decreases. And I don't know if this is substance usage related. I don't know if it's environmentally related. I don't know. But what I know is now I have to kind of draw a line through these because we're seeing a lot of them kind of pop up here. And I think that they're also sort of skewing the analysis of the foreign substance crackdown where we're seeing a lot of people talking about, you know, these big spin rate drops and the spin rate drop across the league and all of that. To me, it looks as though we're getting increased noise from those retractable roof stadiums that have the humidors. So those are things, again, that I said, you really want to apply context to. It's not like you just want to look and say, well, Jose Barrios had a spin rate drop. Nope, got to fade him now. No, because that might not happen in his next start, not pitching with that humidor baseball. So that's something I've been trying to look at here, something I actually found this morning, and now something I'm going to look at a lot closer if I can, just to sort of see if you know this is creating this extra element of noise. And that's the hard part about these spin rate decreases is that there's so much noise, 
there's so much context that has to be applied to each one of these starts. You know, because you've got that strong relationship between velocity and spin, if a guy's velocity is down a little bit, the spin rates are going to be down too. If he's throwing harder, the spin rates might be up. You know, it's a very slippery slope here. And it's something that just adds another layer of difficulty to betting on baseball. And, you know, I talked about this on, on one of the previous shows here. You know, baseball is just, it's its not a fun game right now with, with where everything is, with, you know, players going up against each other, with, you know, hitters being upset about these substances and how far pitchers have taken it. But then their teammates are doing the same things. And, you know, the, you got the, the labor stoppage that's almost inevitable now you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge and it makes it very hard to handicap the game. And so, you know, I'm just trying to do everything I can to apply context and and sort of analyze and read through these things, but it is very difficult. And now adding this extra wrinkle here of the humidor, at least from what I'm seeing with the recent returns on the data, you know, it's, it's, it's very frustrating. It's, it's very hard to, you know, try to pinpoint a lot of these different things. Corbin Burns, his spin rate decreased, but again, pitching in Colorado. So not as extreme as his previous start at home, but down in Colorado. So, you know, just another one of the wrinkles there. Jose Urania decreased velocity and spin for the Tigers. Second straight start. This has happened. I don't think he's healthy. Uh, He did have an IL stint earlier this season. I don't think he's really healthy, but at the same time, Alex Cobb with decreased velocity and spin. And we're seeing this a lot here at Angel Stadium, where we're seeing a lot of decreased velocity and decreased spin. So I don't know if this is calibration with the system. I don't know if it's a tracking issue. I don't know if it's an environmental thing. I don't know. But it's getting very frustrating now to look through these spin rate things as well and sort of have to apply all of these different layers, all of these different caveats to looking at all of this stuff. Like, for example, Trevor Bauer. His four-seam fastball spin rate down 321 RPM in his Friday start against the Diamondbacks. He still threw seven shutout innings, struck out eight, walked three, but that was another one there with Chase Field. And that's one that kind of got me thinking, okay, something is up here with the humidor and with spin rates. And honestly, I feel like I remember seeing something about this in April earlier on when I was kind of tracking spin rates to look for injuries and all of that. So Again, just just another layer. Yusei Kikuchi, big drops for him on Friday. Another layer with that retractable roof and a humidor. So what I'm seeing here is that if you can't use some of these grip agents, spin rates and velocity will be down in places with humidors. So this is probably going to increase offense in some of these bad pitchers parks. We've seen Seattle actually be much better offensively of late at home. Maybe we see it in Texas, although I am on the under tonight, so hopefully it doesn't happen tonight. But I I do think that that may be kind of a byproduct of this crackdown on substances, is that in these humidor stadiums, I think that we may see an increase in offense. You know, we saw a lot of runs score that Dodgers-Diamondbacks series, at least on Sunday. Uh, You know, the Arizona offense has actually been pretty good in the month of June. The pitching staff's been really bad. So I think there's that. I think playing overs in retractable roof stadiums may end up being an angle that we can make some money on. So that would be Houston. That would be Seattle. That would be Texas. That would be Arizona. Uh, I believe Marlins Park is one as well. So, you know, maybe you kind of look into those things. Maybe we get some increased offense in some of those ballparks. 
On Saturday, Jesus Lazardo for the A's, another decrease in spin rate for him. Uh, Jake Arrieta, his spin rates were down once again. Velocity was up. He's trying to compensate, but the spin rate was down. He didn't pitch well. Shout out to the listener of the show who tweeted at me about that. Uh, but Arietta, another rough outing for him. James Karinchak and Nick Sandlin, like I mentioned from the Indians' bullpen, they were down quite a bit. Dean Kramer for the Orioles was down over the weekend. Martin Perez of the Red Sox was down quite a bit. Also, Brandon Workman for Boston once again. Uh, Boston's having some major pitching problems right now, and I think this spin rate crack or the substance crackdown has hurt them quite a bit. It's hurt the bullpen. I know that for sure. Seems like it's hurting the starters now too. Perez with a decrease. Garrett Richards with a decrease in his last start. He'll pitch again here on Tuesday. Uh, Boston may be caught up in this whole thing. Wouldn't be a big surprise with Alex Cora coming over from Houston. Uh, So I think Boston, this may kind of be a long-term thing for them, where their pitching staff I thought was overperforming to begin with. But now, if they're one of the teams most affected by the substance crackdown, and it appears that they are, uh, there may not be a light at the end of the tunnel for that pitching staff. A big drop for Lance Lynn. That was a start in a humidor ballpark. Again, I think that that's just kind of a thing here. Uh, Austin Gomber, velocity and spin rate decreases for the Rockies. Again, Colorado, another humidor ballpark. Uh, He only threw 33 pitches, wound up leaving the game hurt. You hope everything's okay with him. Uh, They said it's a forearm issue, so hopefully it's no big deal, but we'll kind of wait and see. Walker Bueller, big decrease. Park with a humidor once again. Sunday. Casey Mize of the Tigers, velocity and spin rate drops. Dylan Bundy, same thing. Angel Stadium in play once again. So this will be the last time I do this on the show because there's a lot of noise out there. And as I said, I think the humidor ballparks are really messing a lot of this up. Maybe the ball is slicker. Maybe it has something to do with being heavier and thus harder to grip. I don't know. But like I said, I think you look for overs in those parks, Seattle, Texas, Arizona, Houston, Miami, um, you know, maybe Angel Stadium appears to be one with some velocity and spin rate shenanigans as well. So I think there's that. I think some of the more traditional pitchers parks may kind of flip a little bit and be a little bit better for offense with this spin rate crackdown. So maybe some pitcher will kind of confirm this for us, kind of talking about it, something like that. But that is something that I did notice here uh, over, you know, these last, this last week or so, a lot of these spin rate decreases seem to keep coming in the same ballparks. So I think that a lot of it has to do with the humidor, some of the environmental conditions and all of that, not being able to use those grip agents on the baseball. So, like I said, I think the more traditional pitchers parks, specifically the humidor ones, we may see upticks in offense as we go forward here. But as I said, this will be the last time that I do this. You know, you've got a list now of the guys to keep an eye on. You've got a list of some of the guys that have seen drops. So there's just a lot of noise, a lot of context to try and apply to this for me to do it all the time. But know that the usual suspects would keep showing up uh, if, especially if Major League Baseball actually cracks down here. So I'm going to talk about some non-spin rate stuff on the show as well. And something I've kind of picked up on and something I've been trying to exploit a little bit is that we're seeing quite a few teams go on runs where they're beating up on the bums, they're beating up on the dregs, the bottom feeders in baseball. Then they step up in class and they struggle. You know, the Astros just swept the White Sox 
White Sox not playing a very difficult schedule for most of this season. The division's not very good. They go and play the Astros. They get smoked. I think it was 27 to six or something like that overall in that series for the Astros in that four game sweep. The Angels talked about them. We played on Oakland twice in that series against the Angels. And that was one where the Angels had played nobody for the better part of a week, had won six in a row, playing the Rockies and the Mariners and some of these other bad teams. They run into Oakland. Oakland sweeps them. Oakland playing some bad teams. They go to the Bronx, lose two out of three. So I think it's really important to look for those spots where teams kind of got healthy, kind of bumped up the numbers and all of that by playing really weak competition. Then they go and play some legitimate teams and all of a sudden things kind of, you know, turn for them a little bit. Take, for example, my Cleveland Indians. You know, they've played the Orioles, the Cardinals, who are really in a funk, the Mariners, the Orioles, the Pirates. Well, now they play the Cubs for a couple of games. Then the Twins, who seem to be playing a little bit better, at least have a pretty good offense. Then they play the Tigers. But then to finish out the first half, the Astros and the Rays. Then they play four games against the Royals, who are also struggling. But the Indians are playing some better teams now, certainly some more talented teams than what they've recently been playing. I think it's a good time to fade the Indians now. The A's, they play Texas this week, or uh, yeah, here this week. The first game against the Rangers tonight of 19 left on the schedule. But outside of playing Texas here, and they play Texas three times between now and the All-Star break, they also play San Francisco, Boston, and Houston. So Oakland will step up in class a little bit here soon. The Angels, you know, they played Seattle and Kansas City and Arizona. Then they got swept by Oakland. Then they played Detroit. Well, now they'll play the Giants and the Rays and the Yankees the Orioles and the Red Sox. I think we've got a good opportunity to fade the Angels here coming up as they step up in class and play some better competition. On the flip side, the White Sox got swept by the Astros in that four-game series, but you know who the White Sox play the rest of the way before the All-Star break? Pirates, Mariners, Twins, Tigers, Twins, and Orioles. So right now, the Indians, I think they're two and a half back or three back, something like that. They've got three games in hand on the White Sox there. But the Indians are playing better teams now. They're playing the Cubs and the Twins, the Astros and the Rays. The White Sox, they don't play a team with a winning record until after the All-Star break. So now is probably the time to buy a White Sox future because they're up by two and a half now. They'll probably be up by six at the All-Star break, if not more. So... Look for that, too. Kind of forecast the schedule out a little bit. Look for some futures betting opportunities. The White Sox this season, they're 17-23 and against teams 500 or better. They are 26-6 and against losing teams. And now they play a run of six straight losing teams. Well, I guess the Mariners don't have a losing record, but they probably should based on their alternate standings metrics. But now they face a bunch of bad teams. The White Sox should get healthy now. You know, the A's, right? The A's have played 27 games already against sub-500 teams. Houston's only played 17. And to that end, Houston, 35-19 and against teams 500 or better. So Houston has played a lot of the tough teams on their schedule already, and they've done very well in those games. Now if they can play the bully role, 
Well, they should leapfrog over Oakland here and probably do so in relatively short order. So those are things that you want to look for here. How about the Mets? The Mets are 9-14 and 14 against teams 500 or better. They are 27-15 and 15 against losing teams. But they're the only team in the National League East with a winning record. So they've been able to play a lot of teams with losing records. When they step up and play against some of the better teams, well, what's going to happen in those games? Although the NL, not great overall anyway. The NL Central is still very weak. Uh, the three good teams in the West. But, you know, is there a single good team in the NL East? I don't know. But these are things that you want to look for. You always want to look for those futures opportunities. And there are some strength of schedule discrepancies out there. Or some teams that have played really well against the bums, have not played well against good teams, then they run into a good team and, you know, kind of takes them down a peg or two. So look for those. I think we've got a fate of the Angels coming up here. I think we've got a buy sign on the White Sox. And yes, it's going to be chalky, but they're playing teams that they could blow out if they wanted to. So look for those things. And also try to look to play against teams that just played a bunch of bad teams and then step up a little bit. I think those are opportunities for us to play on. Got a pick for Monday night for you here. And look, it's the Los Angeles Dodgers. Underdog for the first time in 150 games. Last time they were a dog, October 7th, 2019. And I tell you what, I will back Julio Urias at any reasonable price. I think tonight is a very reasonable price. Um, you know, Shop around for the best price that's out there. You Darvish, a guy with a spin rate decrease, definitely have some worries and some concerns about him. That would be something that I would definitely want to take an extra peek at here with Darvish tonight. But I have to play the Dodgers as a dog. I mean, the, the Padres, look, Darvish is great. The Padres don't hit. They're below average offense this season. So I took the Dodgers for tonight. And obviously, I will talk about that series a little bit more here in a couple of minutes. So four series to preview for the week ahead here. We start with the Braves and the Mets. Double dip today. Ian Anderson, Jacob deGrom in game one, it would appear. Kyle Mueller, and then either Robert DeSelman or Gerard Eikhoff. Probably getting the start in game two for the Mets. Charlie Morton, Marcus Stroman on Tuesday. Max Fried and David Peterson on Wednesday. Back-to-back doubleheaders for the Braves. They got in late last night because they had to play the Cardinals in a day-night doubleheader, essentially. Yesterday, a very long day at the ballpark. Mets did play a doubleheader on Saturday, so it's not like they have some big rest advantage or anything like that. You know, I still feel like the Mets are overachieving here. I mean, defensively, they're playing very well. They still have a ton of injuries on the offensive side. I still think that they're kind of an overachiever and the Braves are a bit of an underachiever. But at this point in time, I mean, the Braves offense has been very inconsistent. They either explode or do nothing. Uh, The bullpen is just, I don't think they're going to get right and turn this thing around, especially now with all the spin rate decreases. So I don't know. I I really want to continue liking the Braves, but I've been talking about how I expect the Braves to get better for so long, and it just hasn't happened that maybe it's not going to. So interesting series here, a four-game series over three days. We'll see how this one plays out, but Atlanta's got to make a move here at some point, and uh, I'm kind of getting tired of waiting on it. Astros and Orioles here. Jake Odorizzi, Keegan Aiken tonight, Zach Granke, uh, Jorge Lopez on Tuesday. Jose Urquidy and Tom Eshelman on Wednesday. You know, the Astros 35 and 19 against teams 500 or better, as I mentioned, but that makes them eight and nine against teams with a losing record. 
Is, is this just like a focus issue for them? Is it a lack of motivation? I mean, look, they've played a really tough schedule here lately. They've played the Dodgers and the Red Sox and the White Sox. And I think they played Oakland in that span as well. They've played some really good teams. They went up to the Bronx and played the Yankees. They've played some really good teams of late. Do they bring any intensity whatsoever to Camden Yards? I I don't know. I, I you know, I looked at it today and, and look, I mean, this team, they've only won six one run games this year. So they've won the run line like 36 times in, in their wins this season. So they win by margin. I mean, they win in big fashion when they win. And I was looking at it today, and they're facing a lefty, excuse me, and Keegan Aiken. And Aiken's a guy that he's fine, just got shelled by the Indians last time out, but he's left-handed. And Houston, one of the best offenses in baseball against lefties, they're the best offense in baseball overall. And yet, laying like $1.60, $1.65, I couldn't take it. And Jake Odorizzi's pitched fine since coming back from the IL, but I couldn't take it because I just don't know if Houston shows up to play these bad teams. They'll show up and play the good teams. Shit, they're 16 games over 500 against good teams. But when they play bottom feeders like this, I don't know what they're going to do. So I couldn't lay it today. Surprisingly enough, I, I couldn't lay it today. I uh, may regret it. We'll see what they do. But I don't know. I, I kind of want to see them show some killer instinct and be the bully that the White Sox have been. Be the bully that the Athletics have been, you know? Go out there and beat the hell out of the teams you're supposed to embarrass. So we'll see if they do that here this week, but I've got questions about it because, yeah, they'll step up when they feel challenged, but, you know, eight and nine against teams with a losing record? Eh, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Dodgers and the Padres here. Julio Urias and you Darvish tonight. Clayton Kershaw, Blake Snell tomorrow. Trevor Bauer and Joe Musgrove on Wednesday. Spin rates will be the talk of this series, Darvish, Bauer, so on and so forth. But to me, I think the talk of this series has to be the Padres offense and and where it's gone. I mean, I expected this team to be very good offensively. I knew the pitching staff would be good, but they had that high ceiling because the offense looked so good. They have a 98 WRC plus. They have been a below average offensive team. 100 is average in Major League Baseball. They are below average. And... There's way too much talent for that to be the case. But why why would I expect them to hit against the Dodgers? You know, I know the Dodgers have some spin rate considerations and all of that, but I mean the Dodgers just have so much depth of pitching here. And the Padres, I mean, look, they've got, you know, two and a half good starters going here. I'm not a big Blake Snell guy, but Darvish is still good, spin rate decrease or not. Joe Musgrove's been great. I'm curious to see what happens in this series here because when these two teams played, The Dodgers were not playing overly well. The Dodgers did not have a great month of April. So let's see what happens here in this series. Dodgers do get a lefty in Snell on Tuesday. Be curious to see what that line looks like. I think I might kind of like the Dodgers in that one as well. Uh, But a big series for both teams here. So we'll see how that one plays out. Lastly, a series that starts on Tuesday night here. The Red Sox and the Rays. Eduardo Rodriguez and Rich Hill on Tuesday. Garrett Richards, Ryan Yarborough Wednesday. Nick Pavetta and Michael Waka on Thursday might be looking at an over here on Tuesday night. Rich Hill spin rate decreases. Hasn't been all that sharp in his last couple of starts. Eduardo Rodriguez showing no command whatsoever. 
Tropicana Field is a very good park for pitchers, as we know, but that might be an over I have to take a look at there. Hoping for a seven and a half between Rodriguez and Hill probably ends up being eight. That might keep me off of it. But if we get a seven and a half in that one, oh, that may be a pick for me. Richards and Yarbrough both had decreased spin rates in their last starts. Garrett Richards, especially. Richards, a guy that only really primarily throws two pitches. So that's very bad for him. Ryan Yarbrough, as I mentioned here, a lot more margin for error for him by having the command profile that he does. So maybe the raise on Wednesday, we'll see what that price winds up looking like. And we'll see what the market does with Michael Waka on Thursday. Big Woba and ex-Woba discrepancy for him. So we'll see if he gets faded on Thursday in the marketplace. Probably should have mentioned this already, but you can get on the list for the betters box notes. If you email me, skatingtripods at gmail.com. Obviously talked about a lot of stuff here today on the show once again, but skatingtripods at gmail.com, the place to get the notes for these editions of the betters box. I'll be back tomorrow with Brian Blessing. We'll talk golf, NASCAR, and the NHL playoffs. And I'll be back again on Thursday with another edition of the betters box. They'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box.